Welcome to Translating Aging, a podcast about how the science of human longevity is transforming the way we treat disease. In each episode, we bring you conversations with the researchers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders who are working at the vanguard of the field. Translating Aging is produced by BioAge Labs, a clinical stage biotechnology company developing therapies to extend healthy lifespan by targeting the molecular causes of aging. I'm Chris Patil, VP of Media at BioAge. I hope my listeners are ready for something a little different this time around. Anyone who's ever opened a fashion magazine knows that there are countless brands of skincare products that claim to be able to give their customers youthful looking skin, turning back the clock through scientific alchemy of one kind or another to reverse the effects of aging. I've always viewed such claims with what I consider to be healthy skepticism. But what if a team of highly trained scientists with expertise in stem cell biology, skin regeneration, bioinformatics, and geroscience were to take a rigorous approach to this problem and using what have become the standard tools and approaches in our trade show that they are truly able to target the molecular and cellular basis of skin aging. What might they accomplish? In this episode, we're going to find out. Joining us are Dr. Carolina Reyes Oliveira and Dr. Alessandra Zanari, respectively CEO and CSO of OneSkin, a company devoted to reversing skin's biological age, which they founded with two other scientists. They're also co-authors of a paper published earlier this year in Nature Aging, Xenotherapeutic Peptide Treatment Reduces Biological Age and Senescence Burden in Human Skin Models, which I'm excited to discuss with them. Alessandra and Carolina, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having us, Chris. Thanks, Chris. We are very excited to be here today. Before we dive into the history of your company, I want to talk a little bit about biology. Why should we care about skin? What happens to skin ages that should concern us? Skin is our largest organ, even though we don't pay a lot of attention in terms of its importance to our overall health. Obviously, we look at our skin from the lens of aesthetics or of beauty, but since our skin is our largest organ and its, its main function is to protect our whole body against pathogens and different types of environmental stressors, as the skin ages and deteriorates, this function also gets compromised. It can also affect our overall health. So skin obviously will impact our lives from a standpoint of, you know, how you feel about yourself when you look at the mirror, if you feel good, if you feel confident. But also this skin aging can really impact our, our health in a more, I would say, systemic level. And that's one of the things that we are interested in and exploring at one skin, not only how to improve your appearance, but also how to improve your skin function so it can aid, you know, your overall health. Yeah, just complementing as like we are getting older, we know that there is an increase of inflammation in our whole body. So in the skin, there is also like the accumulation of the senescent cells that secretes inflammation. And because it's such a large organ, even if it's like a small amount of senescence and inflammation being secreted, this is building up through aging and can affect like uh, contributes to that overall increase of inflammation we notice with aging and that's related with the appearance of chronic age-related diseases. Thank you so much. And just for our listeners, that was Carolina, the CEO speaking first and Alessandra, the CSO speaking second. The company was founded in 2016. Let's roll back the clock to that moment. In 2015, what were people able to do about skin aging? 
when One Skin started in, in 2016, one of our main questions was about, are these products that are available in the market claiming to be anti-aging, are they actually promoting any rejuvenation effect? We started out by growing human skins in the lab and testing these products to evaluate if they're able to change what we call the skin biological age. And very fast, we, what we realized is that none of the products that were out there, they were developed with the rationale of targeting aging itself. They were mainly developed with the intention of treating the symptoms of aging, basically the signs of skin aging. So most of the products are based on retinols or acids. And what retinol does is basically to induce a cell renewal process. So you induce a peeling effect, you know, the upper layers of your skin will come out and then you are going to grow a newer, fresher epidermal layer. But that's not like addressing what's driving aging at the cellular level. So most of the products that were out there, they, they were promoting, I would say, temporary results. A lot of times those results would come with like side effects such as irritation or inflammation that we know that's very common when we use like some acids or retinols, but none of them were, re you know, actually addressing aging at the cellular level. And that's where we saw an opportunity to bring this new science of age reversal and bring the longevity approach of targeting the main drivers of aging at the cellular level to promote a more significant effect in terms of skin rejuvenation. So at the most, what we could do until like, you know, a few years ago was basically either to hydrate your skin or to induce this, you know, cell renew that was basically making your skin to look like newer, fresher, but was not necessarily addressing the aging cause. Fascinating. So Alessandra, I'd love for you to extend that by telling us a bit more about what actually happens as skin aging and what the root causes of the damage that occurs are. We started by replicating the aging process in the lab. So we started to understand what's driving uh, the skin aging. And we realized that the accumulation of damaged cells, also called senescent cells, they are building up with the skin aging. They are increasing the inflammation, the release of metalloproteinases that degrades the collagen and extracellular matrix of the skin. They also affect how is the turnover of the skin when it forms the skin barrier. And this all leads to a more like sagging skin, more wrinkled skin, and a more inflamed skin. So we started, we reproduced this process in the lab. We realized that the markers of aging, they are increasing with the skin age in the markers of cellular senescence and inflammation. And as Carol mentioned, like our first question was to understand, are the products out there, do they target this accumulation of senescent cells that is driving all this deterioration of the skin tissue? And the answer was like, no. So we started to see that when we treat skins with a lot of products in the, that were there in the market, because they were not designed to target senescent cells, a lot of them actually, they would not change the structure of the skin or they could actually deteriorate even more like the skin process. So there was a lot of things that are claimed to be what they call anti-aging, 
but they can harm your skin. And when we look to the markers of aging, cellular senescence, they are not being affected by those products. Some of them can actually increase the markers of aging on the skin, which was like mind-blowing for us at the moment. And we were like uh, realizing that we needed to screen two molecules that would specifically target this accumulation of senescent cells on the skin. That's an excellent transition into the next part of the conversation. You identified an unmet need. You basically showed that the hundreds or thousands of products out there that claim to do something about skin aging uh, in a topical over-the-counter standpoint were not actually targeting anything resembling the root causes of aging, and you wanted to change that. So in order to do that, you need to discover something that was truly effective in this regard. And your products contain an active ingredient called OSO1, which your website describes as a peptide that's capable of reversing skin's biological age. The Nature Aging paper that I referred to at the top of the episode describes the discovery and characterization of that peptide. And I'd like to take this one piece at a time. So how did you go about discovering this peptide? Our first approach was, okay, let's build a screening platform where we will be looking exactly to the accumulation of senescent cells on fibroblast population. So we use beta-galactosidase staining to identify the senescent cells. And we start screening like a library of peptides. And the readout was counting like how many uh, senescent cells, beta-galactosidase positive cells we had after treatment versus non-senescent cells. And throughout the two routes of uh, screening, the first uh, library was around 200 peptides. We did this round of screening. We select like five top peptides and we use an algorithm to create new peptides from these five top hits. And from that, this generated 700 plus new library. We screened again until we identified the OS. O1 peptide that in the paper is described as peptide 14. And what we saw was that this peptide, when we treat a dermal fibroblast that contains senescent cells, a mixed population like with around like 50% senescent cells, we could decrease from 20 to up to 40, 50% the amount of senescent cells on that population without affecting the non-senescent cells. Why were there senescent cells in the skin samples to begin with? So we used a model, a natural model of aging. So those fibroblasts, they were like from progeria syndrome donors. And this population already contains a mix of senescent and non-senescent cells. We can also like generate through replicative senescence or we can induce the population. So the goal is to have a mix of senescent and non-senescent cells in order like to be screening for something that would be affecting one part of that population, but not like negatively impacting the normal and healthy cells. So that was the rationale. Ultimately, you screened fewer than a thousand peptides, which given the space of all peptides is actually a pretty small number. So I'm wondering if you feel like it's surprising that you got a hit from a pool that small. And was there anything special about the peptides that you started with that kind of enriched the population in potential hits? We started like what was a collaboration with the University of Brasilia in Brazil. 
they had like a proprietary library of antimicrobial peptides. And our rationale at that time was like antimicrobial peptides, they can be attracted to more negatively charged membranes. So we thought that we would end with a senolytic molecule and that an antimicrobial peptide could specifically uh, find the senescent cells and like have an activity on those cells. At the end of the screening, we ended because we mixed and we ended with a new library of like completely new peptides. We were able to identify this peptide that actually can be internalized by all the cells, senescent and non-senescent cells, and was a completely new molecule. And what we show in the manuscript is that this peptide interacts with a specific protein that's related with the DNA repair pathways and reduce and blocks the cell's production. And therefore, it's able to reduce the accumulation and especially the formation of new senescent cells. In the senescence field, we talk about kind of broadly, conceptually, two classes of drugs. There are senolytics that kill senescent cells outright, and there are senomorphics which are drugs that somehow change the properties of senescent cells and stop them from doing some of their bad antisocial behaviors, but don't necessarily kill them. Which of those is happening here? We are dealing here with a xenomorphic peptide that's able to modulate the cells in order like, to promote more genomic stability and DNA repair pathways and avoid, like reduce cell production and avoid the formation of late uh, senescent cells. So it's more like modulating the cells and uh, avoiding that they start to accumulate as late senescent cells. The dose that you use in the experiments described in the paper are actually pretty high, like 50 micromolar or so. And I, I realize I'm getting into the weeds and I apologize to the non-technical listeners, but I wanted to, I am going to drive toward an interesting point or what I think is an interesting point. It struck me that this is actually one of the great advantages of skin as a tissue. You can jam basically any amount of active product into the atopical therapy that you want. You don't have to worry about, you know, getting a lot of drug into the body systemically. And you don't have to worry about serum half-life and kidney clearance and all that stuff. So from that standpoint, it's actually a pretty attractive tissue for drug development because you don't have to get into these like nanomolar IC50s in order to get something that actually works. Am I understanding this correctly? The skin like has the skin barrier that blocks the entry of a lot of molecules. And this is actually one advantage when you're targeting, when you're looking for a molecule for skin, because then you are delivering specifically where you want this molecule to act that's inside the skin. So depending, like, as I mentioned, the skin has a barrier, but depending on the properties of some molecules, they can penetrate the skin upper layers. And this is the case of this peptide because of the size and the conformity of this peptide. We run experiments that confirm that this peptide can penetrate the upper layers of the skin and it can act like in small amounts without being toxic. It can act exactly on the skins that we, on the cells that we want to see improvement. Yeah, as you said, is a great model for the discovering like new molecules because it's more safe and we can run also like all the tests to ensure like the safety side of this molecule when delivery delivered topically to the skin. It's actually really hard to deliver a high concentration 
of a, you know, an active or whatever molecule in the skin, unless it's a very small molecule that has a polarity in, you know, kind of a confirmation that is really easy to cross the skin barrier. So we, in some ways, we were lucky that our peptide, it's only 10 amino acids and the charts and the polarities works uh, well to cross the skin barrier. But even though we know that from, you know, 100% of obviously the peptide that, that we put on the top of the skin, only max like 5% will penetrate. But it's good that we know that it penetrates. So we can calculate what's the amount of like peptide that we need to have on the topical formula, knowing that, you know, up to 5% will penetrate and we needed that amount of peptide to have the effect on the skin. But I would say that having a molecule that is stable in different pH, different temperature, that's able to penetrate and not causing any toxicity in the skin or any irritation is actually really challenging. So I don't think that's hard to find other molecules that have like, you know, a xenotherapeutic effect, but having a molecule that has all those properties that are, you know, suitable to be used in a skincare product and it's safe, that's when, you know, it comes the challenge because in the end you needed to have uh, an effective amount of peptide being delivered to be working as expected. Thank you so much. And just to recap for our listeners, I want to describe what just happened. I asked a question that was basically predicated on the idea that, hey, isn't skin easy? And Carolina just reminded me, Alessandra pointed out, yes, it's a good system in which to discover molecules. But Carolina reminded me there's actually a lot of challenges to getting something that's safe and effective and gets into the layer of the skin where it can actually do something. So this is not a cakewalk. This is not something that was easy for one skin to develop. And I really appreciate that clarification. At this point in the story, you've got preclinical data that shows that your drug was not cytotoxic, that it had the desired effects on particular biomarkers, including the beta-galactosidase marker of senescent cells, the senescence-associated secretory phenotype that damages neighboring cells, And not only did it work in cell culture, it seemed to work well in an ex vivo model of your target tissue. Here's where the story diverges from the way we usually talk about drug development on this show. At this point, you had promising preclinical data, but you didn't have to do an FDA trial. First of all, am I correct about that? Yes, we did what we call cosmetic trials, but not FDA regulated. Please talk us through the difference between what you're doing and what, say, BioAge is doing with our oral small molecules and why the regulatory framework is so different for you. For cosmetics, basically, if you have a new molecule, first you need to validate the safety of that new molecule. So FDA actually has, I would say, regulatory guidelines that are suggested for companies when they are exploring a new molecule, a new active. So we have done all of those studies and more because we want to make sure that this molecule is definitely, you know, completely safe before we actually bring it to people. So we did some AIMS tests and, you know, mutagenesis, karyotyping. We did a lot of, you know, cytotoxicity tests. And then we go first and is the, the first study in humans is the RIPT, that's that repeating salt patch testing. So you mix the peptide in a formula and you apply in humans and you evaluate if it causes 
any irritation, any uh, sensitization, and we haven't seen any adverse effect. Everything came out clear. So once we cleared out the safety of this molecule, and this was always like we could predict this based on our in vitro studies because we always saw a decrease in the inflammation markers and aging markers and increase in the markers related to the skin health. So we wouldn't expect this to be causing an adverse effect, but this just like confirmed that we had a very good system in vitro to kind of predict what would happen in humans. So once we validated the safety, the next steps actually to validate the benefits, right? The efficacy, how those peptides when used as a topical product would improve, uh, would impact the, skin, the human skin in terms of uh, the signs of aging. So we ran this clinical study that was a split phase. We had a basic formula with all of the, the other ingredients, which are also good ingredients for the skin. A lot of them are moisturizing, antioxidants, but we have another half of the face with this formula plus the peptide. And we recruited 22 participants that completed the, the study in 12 weeks. And what was very interesting, we could see that both sides improved some of, you know, aspects of the skin in terms of appearance, hydration, but the side that had the peptide showed a significant improvement in the skin barrier, basically in the measure that uh, measures the water loss. So we could decrease the water loss on the side with our peptide in a significant way, which was not improved at all on the baseline or the control. We also saw significant improvement in fine lines and wrinkles in the side of the peptide and the other side, the improvement was not significant. So this was a very interesting study to see that the peptide actually is adding an effect here in improving the, the health and the function of the skin and even improving the appearance of, as well. So these are how those studies work. They are basically evaluating improvements in the overall like texture, firmness, appearance. And obviously we also assess for side effects, but again, we haven't had those issues yet. Just adding to what Carolina just mentioned, all the data that we did to following FDA guidelines on the safety of this molecule, this new peptide, it's already published as well on a journal toxicology report. And this clinical study that Carolina has just mentioned, it's now under review and will be soon like available in the journal as well. I look forward to reading all about it. So once you'd formulated your products, what then? You just sold it to people? We did these clinical studies, and once again, we had all the claims backed up by data. We started, like, you know, creating the brand around the, the product and bring it to people. So, actually, creating a brand is is very challenging as well. There is mainly for us that we are scientists is obviously, you know, not on our wheelhouse. But I think we were very excited about bringing this messaging around longevity and, and really highlighting the, the importance of our skin to our health. And we found that this niche that uh, people were interested in longevity, but they also care about their skin and they want something that was actually really science led. So it took us, I would say, at least a year and a half from, you know, when once we have the formula 
to create a brand, to create like everything around like the business to bring it to market. But that's basically what we did. Yeah. Are you finding that this scientific story, which obviously appeals to me, and I think I suspect will appeal to our listeners, do you find that it resonates with your customers in the way that you expected and in a way that motivates them to purchase and continue to purchase your products? Obviously, the consumer is getting a lot more educated. And when it comes to a product that's, you know, on a higher price point, the consumer wants to make sure that there is some validity behind. And interesting enough, a lot we've been testing different types of like messaging. And the ones that perform the best are the ones that we really show the science. And I believe it's because most companies, they can't do that. They don't have the science to actually, you know, explain how their products work. And they use claims from suppliers, from vendors that they buy the ingredients from. And they, you know, obviously create a formula and start selling. But for us, it was like five years of research and, you know, very rigorous validation before we brought this product to the market. So we have this ability of like sharing the data and sharing everything that, you know, it's behind this product that other companies don't have. And this helps a lot of building like the loyalty, the trust. And we love also, you know, educating people about the science and sharing a little bit more of our, you know, our day to day in the lab with them. A lot of companies, they are based on marketing claims and we have the science to show how our peptide and our product works. And this makes a whole difference when you enter in a market that's completely crowded with a lot of products. But as we were saying, like uh, 99% of them has zero, like I say 99%, I don't know exactly the percentage, but a high percentage of those products, they don't have any science behind. And more and more like the population is getting, like people are getting educated and they they don't want just like marketing claims. They want to understand and trust brands that really can bring proof of what they are saying. And our science like bring this proof and we love sharing the data with our customers. That's fantastic. I mean, there, I think that 99% doesn't seem like an overstatement. And among companies that do have scientific support for their claims, none of them are publishing in Nature Aging. Right. Except for you. Like this, there's, there's, yeah. there's some scientific basis and then there's a rigorous peer reviewed scientific basis. And I think those two things just have to be considered as quite different. And I'm really heartened to hear that the scientific story is resonating with your customers. Now I'm going to ask kind of the flip side of the question. You're a supplement company. You're a cosmetics company. You're also scientists. And just to underscore this for our listeners, this company was founded by four PhDs and they are working in the lab to show that according to the standards that we use in other kinds of chiro science work, that their products actually work the way they claim. All that having been said, okay, great. Your science resonates with your customers who are buying a skin product. Is it hard to get the, what I'll call the hard biotech side of the industry to take you seriously? <laughs> That's a great question. I always felt that at the beginning, we were never like, taken seriously because people don't value cosmetic in terms of the importance that, you know, it can have to our health as some therapeutics. But I think this, this is changing a lot. I think people are more open to see, okay, I need to put something on my skin. You know, if I, I'm going to, 
take care of my skin, I should rather take care with a company that's actually doing some really legit science than, you know, using whatever it's out there that's a little harder to trust. So we've seen that the people are becoming more and more interested. And also skin is becoming kind of an interesting approach to, again, validate some of those therapies that are being developed to treat other tissues. So it could be that our peptide, and we actually believe that, can address aging other tissues as well. We're, we now have a lot of data, you know, from our customer that supports the safety, supports the efficacy. Now we, we're excited to explore other applications. So I think uh, people are getting more, again, interested. And, and I think we are actually helping to change a little bit, you know, the, the mindset around cosmetics and skin and and how it connects with longevity. But Alessandra, I would love to hear your thoughts there too. I feel that uh, the same as Carol, like in the beginning, a lot of people on the biotech space, they were like, oh, you're looking to cosmetic, like it's this real science or not. And I think like bringing this paper now like public, now everyone can see how much, how deep we went on science to develop this molecule. Even if it's for skin, for a cosmetic purpose at the end, we have done like rigorous science. And that manuscript like goes over all like 2D monolayer studies up to platforms to identify screen new molecules, 3D skin platform, ex vivo models, RNA sequencing, single RNA. We went deeply, deeply until we measured the biological age of the skin. And it's a very complex manuscript. Like we have around five years of research on that manuscript. And that kind of like validate the science that we have been so rigorous during those years. At the end, now I get so excited to see the benefits of our coming from our customers and how like there are customers already with us for two years and reporting how much like this product had helped several different skin issues that they had. At the end, this is for me the most valuable thing. Something that Carolina said in her answer kind of made my ears prick up. What are the other applications that you're considering? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't disclose too much, but we can disclose one that's adjacent to skin. That's uh, hair loss. I think there is... What? A, yeah, we, we've been working on, on hair follicles, cells, and trying to replicate hair loss in the lab for almost like a year from now, it's, it's definitely, you know, a newer area for us. So it can take a little longer. Obviously, it's, it's a very complex condition as well. But there are several studies showing the implication of senescent cells in hair loss and in gray hair. So we are interested in hopefully expanding to this category as well. And we have other studies, more in other tissues, other, I would say, age-related diseases, that we can't disclose right now. These are mainly done with some collaborators that are studying those specific conditions. But yeah, whenever it's time, we'll be really excited to share with the audience here. Oh, I can't wait. You know, one thing that occurred to me when we were talking about the way you did the, the study that led to the discovery of the peptide, I know you used fibroblasts from Hutchinson Guilford patients. So this is a form of progeria where cells undergo premature senescence. Has there been any thought that your topical 
supplement your cosmetic would be useful to these patients in particular to help with skin-related syndromes stemming from their disease. Yeah, it makes total sense. That would be, can have a benefit there. We haven't explored ongoing further on clinical studies uh, with those patients, but through like uh, the mechanism of the peptide and through the validation that we have done, there is like the possibility that they could also be benefiting of a topical application of this peptide. But we did not explore specifically that. So as we get toward the end of our conversation, I just want to open the floor. You've told us about your scientific discovery process. You've alluded to some interesting future directions, and you've talked about the fact that you feel like you're succeeding, you're getting market share, and that most importantly, you're helping people feel better about themselves. I just want to ask both of you from a scientific perspective and from a business perspective, what are OneSkin's plans for future developments at any level of detail you want to tell me? What do the next five years look like? Our primary goal is to continue to be the most innovative company when it comes to skin aging, to continue to be on the forefront of uh, aging research, applying it to the skin. So I'm not aware of any other company that has the same expertise that we have in terms of being able to be on top of, you know, the advances that are happening in the science of aging and longevity and being able to translate it to consumers in a, you know, very agile and uh, efficient way. So as the science evolves, when skin is also evolving and, and really testing new approaches that we could address this problem more efficiently, so that's where we want to basically establish ourselves as like the top of mind company when it comes to very effective products to target skin aging, help to improve your overall health. So from here, we're right now, we are only present in the U.S. So obviously we want to have a global presence and continue to run some of those studies that we mentioned in parallel and whenever we have substantial data or a very strong proof of concept that we should pursue other indications will do so as well. But uh, I would say in the next three to five years, basically continue to, to strengthen our position in the, as like the first skin longevity company with the most effective and innovative product to help consumers to go through this aging process. Developing these first products that we launched was not like that we stopped the science there. As Carol was saying, we continue like our R&D team continue to run research all the time on other applications of this peptide. But as Carol is saying, we are looking like even to new technologies so we can deliver always the, the most innovative and the best way to treat the skin, to promote skin health and to use the skin to help us to age better. It's a noble mission and I wish you the best of luck. Alessandra and Carolina, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. It was delightful, yeah. Many thanks as well to our listeners and subscribers. If you have feedback or suggestions for future episodes of Translating Aging, you can contact us by email at podcast at biohlabs.com, on Twitter at biohpodcast, or via our LinkedIn page. You can also follow our sponsor, BioH Labs, on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll see you next time.